welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. This is our our final massive group call for the year, possibly, maybe. I, I mean, I shouldn't say that because I never really know what the plan is and who knows when December rolls around Amy's quiz. Can we team up for your quiz, Amy? Are there enough of you? That's an odd number. Yeah, but oh, it's well, there's this no, seat says Debbie me. and Amy. Yeah, <laughs> but then whoever well, gets... I, I don't do my quiz. I am the quiz master. So. Yeah, so we could team up in teams of two and then, but like whoever gets Tilda has a unfair advantage. We'll figure it out. Anyway, <laughs> today we're going to talk about Tour de Romandie, the final world tour race of the year, and do a little bit of a wrap up of the season as a whole. I am joined by, obviously, Amy, as you just heard. <laughs> Hello. Sounding a bit off. Sorry. Nasally. Lauren Rowney. Good morning. It's the end of the season, Amy. That's why. The body just quits once the season's over. It's journalists, season flu. athletes, fans. Yeah. Gracie Elvin. Good day, good day. Good evening from Australia. And Tilda. Hello. Good morning. Your hair looks amazing today. It's like, I don't know what you did. <laughs> Thank Slept you. on it. <laughs> don't want to tell us. She's just like, thanks. I'm not telling you my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. well. Before we dive into everything we're talking about today, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. You've heard us talk about all of the reasons that we love Zwift, but if you haven't tried it and it's piqued your interest... There's, it's actually super easy to get started with Zwift. You just download the app onto your Apple TV, computer, tablet. Uh, you can connect to any smart trainer via Bluetooth. And if you don't have a smart trainer, Zwift also works with most speed sensors and power meters. You can try it out for seven days free. And if you don't like it, no harm done. Thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. Let's just, let's just dive right in. Tour de Romandy. I mean, for the end of the season, when like a lot of people have checked out, this was actually a pretty awesome race. Uh, we had three winners that have never won a world tour race before, which nope, I'm wrong. Okay. Well then I'm just going to hand it over to Tilda. Tilda, what happened on stage one? <laughs> um, stage one. Well, yeah, the starting, the climbing started right out the gate on stage one. It was a pretty lumpy day. Um, there was a breakaway all day, which was, well, Katia Ragusa of Live Racing Extra went first, and then she was joined by Elena Hartman, a Swiss rider. Uh, they were away for a long time, but in the last couple of climbs of the day, the peloton really kind of, yeah, got their act together to chase them down. Uh, Annemiek van Vleuten was doing a lot of work, closing down the gap and any attacks that came from the peloton. On the last climb... Um, they'd they'd caught the breakaway and SD Works were really trying to make it hard. Ashley Mormon Passio was attacking, Liana Lippert was attacking, Elisa Logombugini was attacking, but they kind of went over the climb altogether and then it was a descent um and a flat finish. So when no one had gone, it was pretty hard to attack uh, on the flat. So it kind of, yeah, it, it whittled down to quite a small group, maybe 30 riders, I want to say. Um, going into the flat uh, and there there aren't really many kind of or there weren't many proper fast sprinters in the field at Romandie since it was so hilly uh, but a big name who made it into that flat group uh, that group on the flat was Alena Sierra who was yeah 
therefore Movistar's best choice, which was kind of why Anamik had been working so hard and yeah, kind of rolling towards the finish. It looked pretty obvious that she was the best place to sprinter in the group. Um, and yeah, she didn't have much help in the finale because Van Royten is not exactly a lead out rider, but she uh, kind of went at the right moment on the right wheels and won the stage. And yeah, it's not her first world tour win because she won the tour of Guangxi in 2018 oh. so how could you all forget that one sorry I um, did forget about that <laughs> but yeah first kind of big win of the season she had a couple of wins in Spain earlier in the year and she she did a lot of work she rode the Giro Tour and Welter with Annemiek van Vleuten so she did a lot of kind of domestique work so to finally take a big win uh, is a really good re- result for Sierra I feel like we've talked about her very consistently through the year as a maybe for wins. So, like, I think it's awesome that she finally got that win at the end of the season because she's so good and she's not just a sprinter. Like, I think she said that was a quote. And, yeah, it's cool to see her, you know, finally finishing it off and and coming out of the shadow of Anamik, which is always difficult no matter what team Anamik's in for anyone. (laughs) She rode super well at the world championships as well. She was in that final group too. And um, so I feel like this is a entirely unsurprising result, but really, really awesome to see. Cause yeah, she's, she's been kind of up there, I guess first world tour win on European soil, you could say, um, which is a hard thing to achieve. So pretty impressive. All right. Stage two. I mean, we should, we have to move through the Tour de Romandy quickly because I feel like we have a lot to say in the in the rest of the episode. Um, so stage two, potentially the most exciting mountaintop we've seen in a while. Tilda? Yeah, so it was a big one on stage two with not only uh, this 17-kilometer climb up to the finish at 2,000 meters, but before that, there'd already been a 13-kilometer climb. So it was a pretty tough day. And yeah, it wasn't like that stage in the Giro where it was like flat all day and then just really rose to the finish. It was kind of tough um, all day. Uh, So during the day, we had Elise Oyen and Georgia Williams out the front who had been battling for Queen of the Mountains points on stage one. Uh, so then they were kind of off the front on stage two, uh, chasing that essentially, but it was kind of assumed that they would be caught again. Um, so yeah, they were kind of off the front for most of the day and then they were caught just before the top of uh, that penultimate climb and the peloton had really shrunk by that point I think it was already about 20 riders uh, before the top of the second climb Um, and you had Arlena Sierra in the group but kind of working for Van Vleuten Um, after the climb a little move went on the kind of descent flat before the big final climb which was Marlon Royce, Soraya Paladin and Sierra again and uh, because there was an SD Works rider and a Movistar rider in the group they kind of got quite a big gap quite quickly because the the bunch behind weren't that um, interested in chasing um, and it was kind of only FDJ who wanted to chase uh, from the group Cecily Trip Ludwig kind of attacked at the base of the climb, um, which put Demi Vollering in trouble. 
Um, but the, yeah, when they when they kind of hit that final climb, that really brought back the the three riders who are away. Not necessarily because the group were chasing them too hard, but just because the the climb was hard and they weren't really proper climbers in the group. Um, then yeah, it was it was kind of a whittling down process on the climb. The same same group of four riders ended up going twice, which was Ashley Momopasio, Liana Lippert, Annemiek van Vreuten and Elisa Longo-Borghini. It wasn't Elisa Longo-Borghini, it was Petra Stiasny, the Swiss rider from Rolla Cajes. So that's actually a notable point, I guess. Um, so yeah, so then they went away a second time. Um, I think that was pretty near the top. And then, yeah, they were w- riding fairly well together. Ashley Mormon-Patio looked really strong, whereas Van Vreuten looked to be struggling a little bit. With 3K to go, Mormon-Patio attacked and um, took Van Vleuten with her. Van Vleuten had tried a couple of times to just kind of ride off like she often does, but she just wasn't really getting anywhere. Um, so yeah, with 3K to go, it was just them left. And then with about 2, 1.8K to go, um, Mormon-Patio put in a big attack and... Van Vleuten couldn't follow her, which was kind of a surprising sight to see. And Morn Passio soloed to the finish. Uh, Van Vleuten took second. And it was Elisa Longo-Wagini who took third, who had kind of been dropped from that front four. But um, she's so good at pacing herself on the climbs that she just sort of came back past everyone who'd maybe put in a bit too much to take third. And a great ride from Leanna Lippert in fourth. And then also, notably, Anna Shackley was up there, which is pretty awesome because um, she's another one who's always riding in support of other riders on SD Works. And I think Demi, having just had COVID, um, the team put their faith in Ashley and, and Anna Shackley as well. And so nice to see them deliver, the two of them. And... Obviously, Ashley's first world tour win because she won a stage of the Giro, but at the time it was not a world tour race. So, first world tour win ever. I think so. Yeah. Wow. That's... Yeah. It's like this a victory like this has been eluding Ashley for her entire career. Um, I don't know if it's, I mean, she's. She's a super strong rider. We know that. You have to be a strong rider to be as good at Zwift as she is. She's said when I interviewed her in a podcast that the weight restrictions on bikes really has um, held her down a bit because the weight restrictions on um, for for bikes is based on male riders, and obviously female riders are a lot lighter. So... I don't know. She went into it in the podcast we talked to. We I talked to her last year and it was a really interesting conversation. But she's also kind of always been on teams with like one rider who is just a little bit better than her. And so I think that she's kind of suffered because of that, if that makes sense. Mm, well, I guess her years at Big Law, um, Cecile came about then and was starting to become one of those rising stars. So Ashley's been around for, what did she say, since 2009 or 10 um, and always been around the mark but never seemed to really, what's the word I'm looking for? Win? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that she's. <laughs> like just. It, I think she, um, she like got, she's, because of her personality and her presence, she's really 
thrown herself into a captain role, whether she's actually good at that or not is like not something uh, I know because I've obviously never been teammates with her. I feel like you'd have to be in that environment to understand if it's something that she's capable of. But I think that she's she's her presence has often put her in a leadership role that has been to her detriment. Mm. I have to say, I was yeah. going back through her results for this year and something that we'll go into a bit later, but I don't know. It feels like this has been her most consistent year, even though she has been working a lot um, within SD Works um, in that sort of role. She's been pretty consistent the whole year um, with illness aside. I'm curious to see how she goes now moving to AG um, next gen. Um Interested to have that conversation with the DS. Yeah, I can't wait for that podcast. It's going to be awesome. But Lauren's going to talk to Jolene Dehor, who is the DS for AG, AG Insurance Next Gen. But yeah, I think everyone was pretty excited to see Ashley win. Um, not just because it's she's a rider who's been really, really close on many, many occasions, but just hasn't ever. She's an underdog in a way, even though. She's not like kind of in kind of like Cass Cassia is like always there, but has has a hard time getting to that anyway. Um, but also because Anmig Van Vluten got beat on a climb, um, which is wild. <laughs> like the last time that happened was when Anna Vandebregen was around. Maybe she's finally tired because I think she's had the most incredible year. Oh, it's man. just, if you go back, because um, I was talking to my partner, Hannes, about it, and he still fondly remembers Umlupet Newsblad. He's like, <laughs> that was just, that was her best, best win of the year, for sure. <laughs> um, so she's been consistent since March, which is just insane that she's still, still hitting the mark. And like, even riders like Anamit get tired and we can't forget that. You know, at the World Championships, even though she won that road race, she wasn't on her best day. Um, she had a broken elbow. So um, not taking has. anything. <laughs> still has. Sorry. <laughs> still has. And she did say she's in, she is in a lot of pain, but we know, we know what Anamika's like. Um, she's just on another level when it comes to a lot of things, but um, not taking anything away from Ashley, but it was obviously very cool thing to see but you could see she was was having a hard time on the bike she kind of always looks like that though (laughs) (laughs) even a little more (laughs) Uh, no it was a good it was a good mountaintop i think when you see a profile in a stage race like this it's like oh okay we know what the results before the race has even happened um so it was a new and fresh experience to have like a nail biting race on a mountaintop finish. And I feel like a lot of riders stepped up, which was surprising to see at the end of the season when everybody is as exhausted as we are. And having to fly back from Australia and then line up again is just wild. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Stage three. Stage three. So yeah, after two pretty hefty days of climbing stage three was a little bit 
more relaxed. It was still pretty rolling uh, with two categorized climbs and it's quite long uh, 150 kilometers, uh, but it certainly wasn't a big climbing day like the others. Um, early in the day, there are a couple of moves. Elise Oyen tried to get away to try and secure her Queen of the Mountains and Petra Stiasny was away alone for a little while. Uh, but the move of the day really came from Ella Harris and Quinty Ton, who, yeah, went away after 30 kilometres or so and pulled out a pretty substantial gap. I think it was up to like six minutes at one point. So they were, they were riding really well and uh, the peloton were pre- pretty happy to just let them go. Um, it wasn't until kind of the last 40 kilometres of the stage that the gap started to come down at all and it came down really quickly like they took five minutes out of it in 20k so by 20k remaining there was only a minute uh left for the for the break but then it was at 30 seconds for a really really long time like they just I don't know if they maybe didn't want to make the catch too early or they just kind of used a few too many matches again it was kind of Movistar working quite hard because they wanted to go for Sierra again on the flat finish um, and then, yeah, we're kind of going into the last kilometre, not last 10 kilometres, and they still had 25 seconds. Um, so it was pretty touch and go what was going to happen. But the catch was eventually, eventually made at 1.9k to go. So it was a close one for Harris and Ton, but ultimately it did come towards the sprint that everyone was expecting. Um, just outside of the last kilometre, the sprint trains were really getting organised. Um SD Works, Bike Exchange, and TMDSM all had kind of full complements of leadouts. Um, but it kind of got a bit hectic into the last kind of 900, 800 meters. Uh, and it became a little bit everyone for themselves. Um, the last rider to have a proper lead out was Marie Lynette from FDJ, who had Cecilia Trip Ludwig riding on the front for her. But yeah kind of they turned this corner into the final straight and it was everyone for themselves in the last 200 meters and it was a little bit hectic um Alena Sierra was there but she got a little bit boxed in and it was um Tamara Dronova from Roland Cajas who kind of hit the front first and looked to be going pretty fast but up from the right hand side of the road Marta Lack kind of opened up her sprint unimpeded uh along the barriers and was coming up super, super fast and just about beat Dronova on the line. It was, it was very close. Uh, and the kind of, the couple of camera angles we watched on the TV. Yeah. They each kind of looked like a different result. So we're waiting for the photo finish was, yeah, knew it was going to be close, but eventually it was given to Marta Lack, who she did in fairness to her, she felt at the finish that she had won, but you couldn't really tell that from, uh, yeah, the footage. So yeah. Marta Lack took a victory ahead of Dronova and Sierra took third. It was it was so close. And I feel like Marta Lack is a really interesting rider because we don't see her a ton, but she's super strong. And um, she's one of the riders that doesn't have, we don't know yet where she's going next year. If she's staying at Saratizit or if she's signed for a different team, It's she's still an unknown for 2023. She was kind of a breakout rider a couple of years ago, so it's nice to see her get a big win. And I was wondering, I didn't get a chance to look it up, but was this the Sarah Tizzit's big first win of the season? Um, I think so, yeah. 
it's their first world tour win for sure. So yeah, especially as they're kind of one of the teams looking for um this world tour license next year. And I kind of put them down like looking at a start list, you would have thought, oh, they don't necessarily have a rider who's going to win a stage, but pulled it out at like the very, very last moment. They're an interesting team because they were so good a couple years ago and they've really this year especially, I feel like they lost a lot of their big riders after the the Olympic year last year. And so they've kind of had a sh- reshuffling of riders. And again, this year they haven't announced like any riders for next year, um, which I remember like at the end of last year, I was wondering if they were even going to be a team this year because they hadn't announced anybody and all of their riders were either signed for other teams or like, yeah, not re-signed. So it was an interesting situation to look at. And I feel like it's a, a little bit the same this year. All right, so wrapping it up, Ashley won the overall uh, with Annemiek Van Vluten in second, not something we see every day, and Elise Lankorghini, another third. She's really solidified her third place finishes in a lot of races this year. Um, she's won a lot too. So, But yeah, so it was, a, it was the final race of the year. It's done. Ashley, first stage world tour win for Ashley first time like getting to throw her arms in the air but also first uh stage race win jersey win for her um as a whole what do we think Tour de Romandie thoughts reactions lots of potential for the future to build on it nice to see a really mountainous race um well could be in the future if it's anything like the men's so um, I think it's nice. It's always nice to have more tours because I think just last year or the year before we complained about the lack of these tours um, and how riders like Ashley, for example, um, will see the emergence of more grand tour type riders or just long stage races, riders, um, because there's just more on offer now. Three days is a weird number of days to have for a stage race, I feel. Um, mm. Yeah, it's like two days, you can't really call that a stage race. Like, there's no GC. It's just two one-day races. But then in three days, it's just only one more day. So it's, yeah, I find three-day races fascinating. I wonder if if it will stay so late in the season, um, mm. a race like this. It's always good if for, for riders, say, who um didn't have a good start to the season whether that's injury or illness or something else um that can come strong towards the end of the year and get some results um it's always good to have these later races i i feel but um yeah with the men do we see that many stage races towards the end of the year not really it's it's just a whole bunch of one days yeah yeah and then the lower level at what is it tour of langkawi yeah, and I if we have to remember that if the races in China hadn't been canceled, tour of Chongming Island and Guangxi, we this wouldn't be the last race of the year. We would have a couple more race days. Mm. <laughs> um so elsewhere, Lorena Weebus won her final race for DSM, uh one day in Belgium. Bunch, Chimay Bunch. I think I did that wrong. Was that okay? I think that was good. Thanks, Dilda. <laughs> um, 
it was a pretty flat race and it wasn't like a stacked field, but even if it was, Lorena Weebus is pretty unbeatable when it comes to a sprint. So completely unsurprising to see her take that win and, um, a nice send off for team DSM. I think she's, uh, done them proud and it'll be interesting to see what happens next year when she goes to SD works. Uh, a couple other like little bits before we get into season review. Um, there were some changes to the women's world tour. I'm going to hand it over to Amy because she wrote up the piece. So, um, the big, the headline kind of things were that, um, they're bringing in maternity cover for riders on world tour teams who are off on maternity leave, but the rider that covers the maternity leave has to be out of contract, which Leaves a bit of a weird. I, I mean, I can't figure out how that's going to work because, like, anyone that's like eligible to be on a world tour team, even temporarily, should rightly have a contract already. So, anyway, there's that. And then, um, basically, or seemingly off the back of the Barbara Malcotti incident at the Tour de France Femme, whereby she was disqualified from the entire race for being uh for the getting um service from the car as it made its way back from the brake to the peloton rather than the car going all the way back into the its position in the convoy and then coming back again um they've introduced two cars in stage races races of six stages or more um because that was essentially because there was only one car in the whole race for that team and um what else oh yeah and uh seven riders rather than six for the same length stage races and obviously we know like all these changes that they brought they put laid out in the plan for the world tour so like minimum salaries are going up but that's not really news because we knew they were gradually increasing every year already and Tilda have I missed anything crucial I think so. Have I not? I think you hit I mean, the major ones. Maternity cover, two teams, oh, two and cars. the and... Neo Pro level, which mm. we kind of already knew was happening as well. I'd heard about this before, I swear. Yeah, the, the that they're, they can have 20 riders on a roster plus two Neo Pros. Neo Pros. So it's yeah. kind of similar to the men's where they can have, I think, 30 and one. No. Possibly. Anyway, it's um, just means that teams can sign more riders, which is something we've talked about a bunch this year, is that teams need to sign more riders. Where those riders are going to come from is like another question. Um, And the maternity cover is really interesting. The, I agree, Amy. It's like weird that they have to be out of contract I because where will they find these riders exactly? I feel like you'll have to turn to like cross and mountain bike riders maybe? What do you Track mean, like out of contract? So not, not contracted to any team. So you get maternity cover if... I think it can be a Conti team. They can be contracted to a continental team. So they can Although like I pick think, up riders from smaller teams. But it can't be like... So like Trek, Trek Segafredo couldn't have taken like a Lacole rider for uh, Lizzie's maternity uh, leave. Like it has to be neither world tour or the like UCI fake continental level we have. So 
it's kind of weird because it's it's not like a like for like replacement in any way. Like if Elisa Longo Borghini goes on maternity leave, you aren't finding a rider that's at that level that doesn't have a contract. But I think Abby, yeah, maybe maybe mountain bike riders might kind of fit into that where they don't necessarily have to race a full season, but they're just like available. Like Trek might have signed like Yolanda Neff back on the road for a couple of races. Mm. But then she's still not going to be covering like Elisa because she'll be doing Well, no, exactly. Stuff. Yeah. But then the, what's the other option? Like you can't have teams trading between World Tour teams. I think it would be nice if, if teams, if they could sign from UCI continental teams, that would probably have made sense. But yeah. But then, yeah, if, if they're not going to keep that contract after that small period, then will their UCI mm. team want to take them back, which makes it a bit... Mm. Yeah, there needs so to be we'll see some how kind they... of incentive. <laughs> the other thing I missed was that they're also um, bringing in basically the same development team structure that they have on the men's side between the World Tour um, and Contel. So basically there's sanctioned development teams, even though they, we've kind of had like unofficial ones for a while already. Which may explain a little bit about what we talked about <clears throat> last year with Valcar. Last year, last week. Yes. I mean, yeah, interesting changes. I'm curious to see how like seven riders impacts the racing. We obviously have seven riders at the Giro, um, but it's the only race of the year where there's one additional rider. So it's good for everyone who hopes to make the Tour de France squad next year because that's going to be a huge battle, I feel like, within teams. Um, and one more spot is one more spot. Okay, last one. Pauline Fair and Provo won Gravel Worlds. <laughs> her second, <laughs> her fourth, her fourth world champion jersey in two months, which is wild. Um, Do we think Pauline's going to race the cross season? Go for I think another she world. Probably title? needs a break, right? Yeah. <laughs> Please take a break. <laughs> Okay, we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments from the season and our favorite riders and all of that. But before we dive into that, this week's episode is also brought to you by Shimano and their new GRX RX870 870 carbon gravel wheels. Tested by Shimano's top gravel athletes and proven on the roads of Unbound, the new GRX carbon wheels are lightweight, responsive, and ready for any mixed terrain. The 25mm internal rim width is designed for tires ranging from... 32 to 50 millimeters and Shimano's cup and cone hubs provide proven reliability no matter how far down the road less traveled your adventures take you. Thank you so much to Shimano for sponsoring this episode. Okay. I want to start with some of our favorite moments from the season because it was a long season, but it was potentially the best world tour season ever. There's a lot of really amazing moments. I will go first. One moment that stands out for me is Amstel Gold race Damn it. finale. With Marta Cavalli. <laughs> um, not only was it Marta Cavalli's biggest win to date, uh, or like at the time, um, it was also 
she was she was super smart in that finale and i feel like i rewatched the finale so many times to just take it all in and there were so many small things that happened uh that it really stands out to me as one of the best finishes of the year agreed that was awesome <laughs> gracie yeah i was i was just like running through you know all the world tour winners of the year and it was you know, just as a refresher and you're just like, man, every race was good pretty much. I Maybe a few <laughs> duds in there, but, like, mostly awesome racing. Um, I think for me the most surprising win was the first one at Strata with mm. Lord of Kopecky. I think that was, you know, pretty mind-blowing and I think that really set the scene for the year. Um, and but I just felt like there were so many amazing performances from lots of different athletes, but you know, I won't go on. And so I just wanted to mention that one, but then for her to follow up with the coolest win, which was winning Tour of Flanders in her national champions Jersey. Like, yeah, we've talked about that moment a few times. (laughs) It was so cool. So, and I got to commentate it. So it just added to my experience of the race, but it was a great race and a very cool way to win so yeah I, I thought that those two victories for Lotta Kopecky this year were very first class Tilda top moment I am gonna show my bias towards stage races again I <laughs> I do love the classics but you know you're all gonna say classics because they are just more exciting <laughs> but the one that really like um early in the season got me excited was the last stage of Welter Abagos when um, it was this really kind of tight battle with Demi Vollering and Juliette Lebu and Evita Musique. And like this really big group came to the top of a pretty hefty climb. And I think that kind of was the first race that really cemented like where the climbing level is at this season. And that it's not just going to be, you know, we didn't know what to expect in the absence of Anna van der Breggen. Was it just going to be like one rider dominates again or something like that? But but no, like that was like, oh, right, okay. There were a lot of really good climbers now this year. And seeing that battle on, on a big mountain like that was just so exciting. And I think although maybe some of the Grand Tours didn't turn out as exciting as they could have because Anamique did an Anamique in all of them, I think that was kind of the start of a really good season of of climbing and um, yeah, just a bigger group of people able to battle over the harder stages. So I really enjoyed that one. And I just love those Spanish stage races as a whole. Amy? I also put um, Capecchi's Strada Bianchi win because that that last corner, chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> and for God's sake, Tilda, yeah, I just put like classic. Now you just like called me out on me. <laughs> Um, I also put Paris Roubaix because, like, when you're actually at a race, it just gives you like more of an attachment to it. Obviously, like you're there, you're experiencing it. Like, it was really cool to actually go and just like see the absolutely huge cobbles, and like still can't get over that. Like, as if they ride bikes over that. Um, but for the stage race lovers out there, I did put um the final stage of the women's tour where Elisa Longo-Borghini just like cinched the the overall with that surprise sprint. Sile's win at the tour also stands out for me as a pretty incredible 
victory that was really exciting. And also the the mountaintop in Tour of Scandinavia was good. The between uh, Leanna Lippert and Sile. I kind of tried to avoid the talks. It's just like oh, obviously the tour. But seeing mm-hmm. Marina Voss in yellow at the tour for sure has to be in yeah. there. I was definitely debating that too. I think the tour was just a huge highlight and every stage winner from that one stage race was just awesome. I think that was another massive highlight for me, but I think it was a big success for women's cycling in general. Like that was, you know, what we were anticipating and speculating for a year. Like, is it going to be what women's cycling deserves? Is it going to, you know, change the game? And I think it did. And if you were a women's cycling fan already, it was just sick. It was so good. Yeah. But as you said, Gracie, like we had so many different winners this year, so many new winners and so many exciting races. Even usually when you see a rider win three races back to back to back, it's not super exciting. But even all three of Eliza Balsamo's wins earlier in the year were exciting in their own way. I I really think that this was the best world tour season we've ever seen. Lauren, did you have anything more, even though you kept I, like screwing up I your face? I've got, like, <laughs> I've got the rider moments here and I'm like, oh, they've listed off all of them. Um, I thought Lorena Weebus dominance in the sprinting, like she really did solidify that she is the best sprinter in the world and she just capped off a perfect season actually. And, and, um, I thought Anamique had a pretty perfect season too. Um, talking about different riders winning different races, when you look at it on paper, she won a lot. She was always up there consistently throughout the year, but it didn't feel that way in a way. I don't know. It didn't feel like it was the Anamique show the whole year because there was just so much racing and so many different riders. And like you were saying, Abby, with Balsamo at the start of the season, she won like three races three world tour races in a row and it was like, oh, is this going to be the Balsamo show? But, um, sorry, Balsamo. Um, but it wasn't. So, yeah, I think it's it's nice to do this because you go back and you reflect on everything and then um, which made me start thinking about um, just the rise of new stars as well that are coming through the sport, so not necessarily people who were winning but, like, um, from the Australian perspective, it was just really cool to see Neve Bradbury actually get some really good results in stage racing and, and seeing, you know, that Canyon Shram jersey managed to managing to hang on with like some of the best climbers in the world. Um, so it was moments like that that was really special too. And she's been, uh, her contract was renewed by Canyon Shram. So that's pretty exciting because I think she had a really tough time with her first year in Europe. And so to come back this year and really make a statement and have them put their support in her for the future is awesome. She's a super exciting rider, I think. Um, yeah, Lauren, you moved into a little bit of what, of one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which is the most consistent riders, like some of the best riders of the year. I feel like two, the two that you mentioned are, like no brainers. I mean, Lorena Webus was winning from the beginning to the end. She was just completely dominant all season long. If it was a sprint, then she was going to win it. And same with Annemiek Van Vluten on the climbs. If it was going to be a climbing race, 
she was going to win. All three of the biggest stage races, potentially, in the calendar. Um, the Vuelta maybe isn't one of the biggest, but just for sake of argument, like all three of those jerseys and the world championship is just wild. (laughs) Um, like, I feel like this was, even though we had a ton of new riders winning and really exciting, um, finishes, the two of them stand out as the best riders of the year. And in third place in that competition is Elisa Longo Borghini. <laughs> Always. <laughs> also, also never consistent. Yeah, she really not, doesn't doesn't win as much as she should. <laughs> <laughs> but she was super consistent this year. I mean, she she had like a slower start to the year than last year, but last year she had a super good start to the year and then kind of crumbled after that. Um so she started off slower this year and then to get to win Perry Roubaix, get third at the Giro and, um, kind of consistently just always be there. I think you're right. She's, she suffered without having Lizzie cause the two of them together are just such a force, but she was still very consistent all year, consistently third. I think Persico for me was also a really consistent rider. Yes. She wasn't winning everything nor necessarily podium, but she was always there. Um, and to be cons- like we've said before, for such a young rider to be consistent a whole season is just such a phenomenal thing to do. And also come from the cross world um, is just crazy. And I also had, I thought Leanna Lippitt had a really consistent year this year. Didn't get, you know, if we're talking about big wins consistently, no, but she was always around the mark and just, um, yeah, for me, she was really good the whole year. Yeah, I'm so excited for I'm we're jumping around a little bit, but that's fine. I'm so excited for Leanna Lippert next year. Cause I feel like she had she was consistent this year, but she also like was pushing herself up a level every once in a while. And I feel like that is kind of with those tiny jumps, next year is gonna be a really, really exciting year for her. I hope that she doesn't um I hope she doesn't lose all of her freedom with uh with Anamique being on the same team. Cause I don't know if we'll see her like win anything next year because she's on a team with Anamique. But you never know. Is there anyone else we missed consistently performed throughout the year? Mavi Garcia. I, I forget about her all the time. Yeah, she's really <laughs> good. Like I feel like she's she's like a Prius. <laughs> just silently yeah but her performance in the Giro was amazing up until the end of the Giro she was really incredible like to see her in that group I think like yeah her and Cavalli it's such a bummer we didn't get to see how Cavalli did throughout the rest of the year because I think that she would have been on this list as well um, mm. but obviously that crash in the tour really kind of ended her season early yes she raced this week at Romandie and the one days in Italy, but she's still, yeah, not, she's coming back from a pretty, pretty bad crash. So I think hopefully next year she gets, she's at the same level as she was at the beginning of this year. Cause she's such an exciting rider. All right. Um, some of our, some of the breakthrough riders, I feel like the most, um, obvious one is, is Persico. 
Yeah. Yeah. I I had a look at her results from last season because I was like, maybe she was just doing well last season and I wasn't noticing. But like, she had like two top tens. She really, really has come from, yeah, practically nowhere this year and, and had like the ultimate breakout season. Like, her results are just insane. The And you look at any result of any stage and you're like, oh, there she is. She's like in the top 10 or something. Um, and yeah. It's it's mad the kind of difference between her results last year and this year, and just being at that level across so many different types of races is something you don't really see very often. For me as well, Shirin, I thought she had a fantastic year. Um, you know, we know her from cyclocross, but then she was so so instrumental in a lot of those wins um, that came from Trek Secafredo this year. And then she took home the the young rider jersey for the world tour, right? She secured that in the end. So she was super consistent as well, I thought, this year. And it was a big year for another young rider who who's come off across season. Yeah, she was definitely on my list too. It was really impressive some of the performances she put in and definitely helped her teammates in getting some big results and I think she's going to be one to watch in the next few years. And I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of direction she goes in, what she's going to specialise in. Mm. But she's a, she's a pretty open slate of pretty raw talent still. So I think it's, it looks like a great team that she's growing in. Um, someone else that I wanted to put forward is um, Alex Manley, even though she's been around for ages. I felt like this year she finally showed us what she's made of. Um, she's had some good opportunities and she's often in the shadows of other people. So it was nice to see her go take the opportunities and run with it whenever she did get given them. So I think she's also going to be, you know, someone that I'm excited to watch in the classics next year. She um, had a good practice run this year and then did well in other races, but I think next year she's going to come back with um, a bit more experience and a bit more um, motivation. We'll say Veronica Ewers. Yeah. She's just been there, especially in stage races. Obviously, she's a climber. We saw her at Romandy doing really well. So her. And shout out to Yara Castellan, who stepped up this year as well. Oh, and also Lizzie Holden. I thought this was a, a breakthrough year for her. Yeah. Um, she's been around the mark, but actually she was really in the mix in racing this year. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to next year, which is my next topic that I've got written down. So what are you guys looking forward to next year? Let's, Amy, do you want to start? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The problem is, is that I don't, I'm not ready. Okay, fine. Tilda. I'm not ready to think about next year. <laughs> uh, I, need, I need a rest. <laughs> I mean, look. We know my real answer is downhill coming back in <laughs> June, but um, my actual professional real answer, uh, I think probably the thing I'm most looking forward to is, well, if the rumours are to be believed, uh, the Tour de France fam um, taking a pretty different looking route next year. I think they're going to move away from the Paris start already, which is, in my opinion, probably a good thing. It just opens up the opportunities um, quite well and and likely head to kind of the Massif Central and the Pyrenees and I just think that would be so good 
what it would be like for the racing is a different question because you have like Annemiek van Vleuten, but to have the Pyrenees in a world tour race, I know we've had a couple of races uh, set in the Pyrenees this year, but yeah, to have that in the, in the Tour de France and actually have some of the big iconic climbs of uh, the men's tour and the women's tour would be very exciting to me. And I just love the Pyrenees. So any excuse to go there is good for me. <laughs> the less Paris, the better. Oh my God, Paris. The... I'm just going to say it again, guys, 27,000 steps I did that day. <laughs> <laughs> Gracie, what are you excited for next year? <laughs> Um, I, I was definitely in the similar headspace to Tilda of like I'm really looking forward to the Tour Tour de France farm next year because um, I hope that they go somewhere a bit different and they don't um, start in Paris again, but more so from the point of view of I want to see how they consolidate the success of this year and, and how they keep that momentum and, and slowly building it to, to something really substantial, I think. They, uh, I don't think really they need to change much at all. I think they just need to run it again well and maybe just <laughs> run it a little bit tighter and just maximise that coverage. Um, so I think that's important. Um, and I'm always looking forward to the classics. And I think Paris-Roubaix is still so new. I think it's cool to see teams figuring out how to race it. Um, I think that the that unknown and fear factor is slowly ebbing away and, you know, the tactics and the equipment choices are going to become a bit more um, consolidated there as well. So I think that's just going to be a whole new game now to watch in the next five years, which I'll love as a fan. <laughs> Lauren, how about you? Agree with Gracie. Looking forward to the next edition of Paris-Roubaix. Um, and actually, I'm really looking forward to, I don't know how to call it, calling it the super UCI World Championships, bringing all the disciplines together for once. I think this is something pretty awesome um, and hopefully I'll get to experience myself because Scotland is definitely on my bucket list of places to go. The mountain biking is really good there. Um, And I think it'll be cool to just have all the disciplines in one place. Um, And I'm just curious to see how that goes for for Scottish tourism as well from that perspective. Yeah, I had both of both of these on my list. I'm so excited for Perry Roubaix already. I mean, I never understood the Perry Roubaix hype. I was always Team Flanders, but now having watched two like really incredible editions of Perry Roubaix, um, I cannot wait for it next year. And hopefully will be on the ground, which will completely change the experience. And I'm so excited for the mega worlds, like to have everything together. I'm excited to see how they're going to do that. And, uh, and also will be on the ground. So I feel like that just makes a huge difference in like what you're looking forward to because experiencing bike races and being in the melee, just like, yeah makes there's like this whole heightened um in in terms of other things i'm excited for next year there's a couple transfers that i'm really really excited for um i can't wait to see what movistar does with flirty mckay and leanna lippert um especially when it comes to the classics and stuff like that. I'm excited for what that means and how those riders are going to evolve from being at DSM for such a long time. 
I'm excited to see how SD Works handles uh, having Kapeki and Weebus, which Amy talked a little bit in a, about in her piece that she wrote on the site, uh, What's Next for Lorraine Weebus. If anyone wants to read that, I'm excited for how they handle that. And I'm super excited, super, super excited for Brody at Trek. I just cannot wait to see what Trek does with Brody and Spratty, but mostly Brody, because I think that she's going to really benefit from having such experienced writers around her. On the subject of Trek, one thing I just thought about is Lizzie Dagnan should come back at some point next year. Oh, yeah. Good point. She's only just had the baby. Give her a break. No, oh, but she, after her first child, she she won Tour of Britain in June the following year. After yeah. having Orla, and then she had a bloody good road race at the World Championships one year after having Orla, which was just amazing. Um, so, yes, I'm also, I'm excited for that too. She's Two got to come back is, at some point next season. There's no way yeah. she's yeah. I wonder, like, I mean, I obviously don't have experience with being an elite athlete and having a child, but then having two kids and bouncing back. Yeah, I think it's a whole be... another level of hard. I, I, was, I don't know either from experience, but I did get to chat with her briefly at the tour while she was there commentating as mm-hmm. well. And she said she's a lot more tired this time around. And that was when she was pregnant, let alone having to juggle two um, outside babies. So um, I think, yeah. I think she's so mature now. She knows what is works for her. She knows what she wants. She knows what makes her happy. And I think she has hardly any pressure on herself anymore. Just I think she likes winning, but she also has different priorities now. So I think that she'll just come back in her own time and enjoy being a mentor and a team captain in the meantime. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. But who knows what her performance is going to be like. She's certainly one of the most talented riders in the peloton, but I think it must be so hard having two young children. Yeah. What what else did we miss? What else from the season should we talk about? I feel like there's some topics that we've kind of talked about in almost every episode, um, like the the calendar expanding and the world tour teams and all of that. So I kind of want to leave that because I think that we should talk about that when the season starts next year but is there any other is there anything we missed I'm sure if we did people will comment on on the website and say but why didn't you speak about this person it's just information overload it's hard though to I mean remember last year doing it to try and go back and remember everything from end of February and now we're approaching mid-October well here's one as a kind of overall thing Demi Vollering I've been thinking about her season a lot like Mm. this was a big year for her to come in and and you know be the new Anna van der Breggen and she had some good wins but she also had a lot of like bad luck and setbacks and she she dedicated half of her year to the Tour de France and then got second, which I know she was happy with, but it's like, that's not what everyone remembers from the Tour. And I think it'll be really interesting how she kind of goes into this off-season when, you know, even this last part of the season, she has to sit out worlds and then really struggled with the effects of COVID at Romandie. Like, I don't think it was the big 
finally I'm the main lead a season that she definitely she necessarily wanted and yeah she's like one of the best riders in the peloton but just hasn't had the the results that she would maybe have been hoping for this year so I think that she's one rider that yeah kind of maybe want to see how she what she does with this year and channels it towards next year if that Mm. makes sense that's a really good point Tilda I think that everyone has shit years that's part of it and it's probably better to have them earlier (laughs) it makes you learn makes you more resilient so I'm sure she doesn't feel good at the moment but in the long term if she sticks at it and she sticks to the the plans and has good support around her it'll actually do her better than being successful straight away she probably was you know in that small percentage of riders that were really successful at a really young age. And it's pretty tough actually to, for that to be sustainable and, and uh, yeah, it's good for her to learn and to still have support and, and belief from the team that she's, you know, going to still be good. So hopefully from the inside, they're still treating her well because she is going to be one of the most winningest riders in the future if they just, you know, let her take her time. So. I think she'll get over it quickly. It's all you need is time and, uh, yeah, a bit of perseverance with cycling. Yeah, I'm so excited to see her next year. I think she's really um, – she has big shoes to fill. So it was going to be a weird year for her and for SC Works in general. Um, I feel like they had a really weird year, SC Works. They still won a bunch, of course, but just without Van der Bregen, it was, yeah, going to be a transition for them. But I think we've covered a ton and we definitely missed a bunch, but we've had a really good year covering the Women's World Tour and we've got some really exciting interviews coming for you guys in the off season. We'll leave it at that. Hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. (laughs) 